Hi, and welcome to the Religion and Story podcast with your hosts, Stephen, Daniel, and Michael Crouch. All right, let's get into it. Today, what we're going to be talking about is immigration and what exactly does the Bible have to say about it, if at all. Um, There are several places that we see the Israelites interacting with foreign nations. Jesus speaks on the topic as well. But what are Christians today facing in terms of battles, spiritual battles that they are facing with immigration and how does it affect their ability to live Christian lives? Um, But Michael, you seem to be the most educated on the topic. Um, You have, I guess, majored in economics and so you know exactly what the economic impacts of a heavy flow of immigration versus a decreased flow of immigration. So what exactly, at least from your uh, school of thought, are the impacts of immigration as it currently stands for United States Christians? Sure. So when we think about uh, immigration from an economic perspective, um, I think the we have to think about it in a macro sense and in a micro sense. First of all, from a macro sense, from a big picture perspective, uh, we have to remember that any time we allow uh, immigrants or any type of labor to go where it needs to go, we're going to get uh, we're going to get a good bang for our buck. You know, there more money, more wealth will be created. Uh, think about it this way: if you have a third world worker who's making a dollar a day, two dollars a day and you allowed them to immigrate to a developed country like the United States or many Western European nations, their uh, their earnings would uh, greatly multiply, perhaps um, you know, 20, 100 times what it would be, uh, even for doing uh, the most menial task that they perhaps wouldn't do in their home country. Um, that's when that's when you allow low skilled labor to cross borders that you would see uh, total GDP not only of the US but of the world rising uh, a great deal. Also when you allow high skill high skilled immigrants to cross borders, um, you have some of the greatest job creators, uh, people like the the founders of Google. Uh, themselves were immigrants. Um, a lot of computer scientists, people coming uh, from other countries that have the education but don't have the infrastructure to take advantage of their uh, of their knowledge. So uh, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit that can be gained from allowing more immigration. Now, everything is not uh, rosy when it comes to immigration. There are some uh, some other things to consider. For example, um, if if we allow immigrants uh, that directly compete with a certain sector of jobs, similar to trade, it is possible that uh, native-born workers could be displaced. Um, and in the short run, that could be uh, bad uh, for their employability, you know, are they are our native-born workers who have more expensive labor? You know, they they require higher wages, but aren't necessarily more skilled than immigrant labor. Um, are they able to do as well? I think that's one of the things that we saw in this last election that so many uh, 
so many people were frustrated with trade and immigrants um, in perhaps indirectly taking away from their employability. Uh, and they were tired of not seeing the growth that they had come to expect. Um, so while the entire country as a whole for sure would do better with increased trade and increased uh, labor Im immigration uh, or allowing people to immigrate to work, um, while the country would do better off, there are individuals that might not do as, as well. Um, so there's a lot of pros to the immigration as we can see. What are some of the drawbacks? And if you can possibly identify anything that would be a drawback from a Christian's perspective, uh, definitely throw that in as well. Well, so uh, I, I outlined some of the economic drawbacks to individuals. Let, let me also say that um, politically, uh, there's this idea of of you know preserving some type of culture. However, um, what the literature shows uh, is that immigrants don't necessarily vote at as high of a rate as native-born people do, at least in the first generation, um, and they're not necessarily biased one way or the other in in voting uh, voting out uh, the goose that laid the golden egg. Um, immigrants don't want to ruin the what system. What in the world does that mean? That's oh, so. Uh, think about it this way: the, the goose that laid the golden egg is the set of institutions that allows our country to be as great as it, as it is to have the high GDP, you know, to have the high standard of living. Um, so you can imagine someone who is unfamiliar with U.S. norms and laws. Uh, if they came and voted for policies that went directly against that, um, they would be attracted to a country and then, uh, and, but therefore vote against the very things that attracted them in the first place. I say all of that to say that we shouldn't be worried about immigrants voting against those things. Um, many immigrants that come to our country, are, not only are they, um, are they generally religious people, uh, they they respect faith, but they also respect hard work. You know, the, one of the reasons they wanted to come was to work. And uh, one of, one of my favorite economists talks about how um, if you believe in uh, allowing more immigrants, basically all all you're uh, really saying that you support is you allow people to accept jobs from other people. Um, why should I be uh, hindered from employing someone just because they live on the other side of the border. So it um, sounds like you're getting back on a tangent of all the, the pros that the immigrants have got to offer. So what are the, the I negative I think Michael's things? a little biased. Well, uh, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm very heavily in favor of uh, increasing the size uh, of our immigrant population. Um, as, I, I don't think it's a mystery to too many people that are listening to our podcast that I identify as a conservative Republican. 20 years ago, the vice presidential candidate on the Republican ticket took this very position that we should liberalize, and by liberalize, I mean make more free our uh, immigration system to bring in more immigrants so that we can expand uh, our economy. Daniel, so, so 
Stephen, I was just going to ask you, because um, I think you were uh, leading Michael earlier in your question. So I was going to see if you had some ideas for either pros or cons as far as immigration is related to ethics and Christianity. So at least what the media portrays as the con or the argument against immigration is national security. Um, How much, uh, from a Christian's perspective, do we think that is a a legitimate argument? Um, And should it take priority? Are we going to place the lives of one, two, several hundred? Um, How much... uh, uh, how much are we going to vet, as that is the common term being used now, uh, how much are we going to put into protection to limit immigration for national security's purpose? Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm split on this uh, because, first of all, I'm not sure how much good it will do um, in, in the past – it seems to me that those who wish to do harm to our country are not, you know, it's not a sizable group, but as the other side would point out, it only has to be a few people. Even one person is all it takes uh, to wreak uh, much havoc on our country. Um, so while I do believe in, you know, having some type of screening process, as I think most people believe in, um, it shouldn't be to the extent to where we actively try to bring down the numbers um, of people that we're letting in. Um, you know, perhaps there are places where we know there are uh, a lot of people who are opposed to Western lifestyles, and perhaps that's where you want to concentrate your screening more. Um, but to say that the screening process would greatly hinder the number of people coming in is is going against um, what is in the interest of the American people. Yeah, I was going to add that uh, I'm sure y'all have seen this statistic at some place. I've seen it many places that, um, especially regarding the present uh, immigration issues, that it's more likely in the United States to be struck by lightning and die than to be killed by a legally... Um, accepted terrorist immigrant. Um, And I'm not sure what time span that statistic is for or anything beyond that. But I've seen such numbers. And so um, if there is any grain of truth in that, then the the issue seems obvious that in no other other issue, uh, no other topic, do we ignore that sort of um, statistic. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and I guess the only other um, argument that I could put to that is, are you going to be able to say that preventative measures against lightning strikes strikes are uh, less than the preventative measures of what you can do to prevent a terrorist attack? Um, Because a human is a lot more predictable than a lightning bolt, Um, and I'm sure there's something out there that's going to shoot that argument down. So, so I, I think that both of y'all make good points. Uh, Stephen makes the good point that um, with preventing terrorist threats, there is an active role. You know, um, part of the 9-11 Commission was saying that while it wasn't completely predictable, some things could have been done. Okay, and that's why uh, 
there is a place for Homeland Security in making sure that everyone's safe. As much as everyone despises the, T uh, the TSA, there is a place for some type of security when, when we're, you know, uh, participating in these collective actions. What Daniel's getting at, and his his good argument, is that um, there is a general lack of numeracy, um, and, and that's that is across everything. You know, when when you ask people to um, to tell you what a number is, they're often off by a large amount. And I think that people, um, I, I don't think this. The, the uh, studies have shown that people think that the uh, probability of a terrorist attack. Is much hot is much higher than it actually is. Okay, Should they so be? Keep going. Yeah, go ahead. Keep going with that. Uh, I would like for each of you to. Can you speak on the psychology of why people are feeling one way or the other? Well, um, I might ask you to clarify the question, but you know, part of terrorism is terrorizing people. I mean, the whole point is to make people fearful of going through their everyday actions. And I, I just want, I'm not saying that we're off topic, but I do want to remind, you know, we should remind ourselves. We are talking about immigration. We are talking about immigration. And uh, to the extent that terrorism is a part of that, it's such a small part. And um, Well, I think that's an ideological argument, Michael. That, I mean, I would agree with, um, but I think, and that's part of the discussion is, how much do we make this a part of the greater scheme? Stephen, to address what you were saying earlier, um, I think it was in Heidet's book, perhaps, uh, that I've referenced on my blog and, and conversations with y'all, The Righteous Mind. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry, apparently I'm, not. I'm with you, Dan. Um, but thank you. Um, I think he makes the – he talks a lot about terrorism in that book, um, but that's more about terrorism, less about immigration. But he does make the point – that in um, previous decades that there have always been um, overblown or uh, unproportional fears that generations have had. So in the past, um, or pre-fall of the Berlin Wall, people were unproportionately scared of nuclear holocaust. Um, Maybe it was more likely than a terrorist attack, but it, they were more afraid than they should have been for how likely people estimated that to be. And they say now the present fear is terrorism. That's partly because of 9-11, obviously, um, but that that's just a cultural, societal thing going on right now, that people are just extra scared of that mm. one issue. It, and just to equally offend both sides, I would say that uh, Republicans – are overly scared of terrorism, whereas Democrats are overly scared of global warming. So there, there's plenty of enumeracy for both sides. Yeah, that, that um, makes sense. Go ahead. So, so I, I think we have about uh, five or six minutes left. Let's let's talk a little bit more about um, what the Bible has to say about uh, immigrants, aliens, pick your word there. We've talked about the economics. We've talked about kind of the political science and psychology. But uh, when the Bible talks about immigrants, because God's people originally were nomads, a people without a land, uh, until God gave them one, um, what does the Bible say about immigration? All right, so I think the the Bible has a 
has two different messages going on throughout its scope. Uh, on one hand, we get the Israelites trying to maintain a uh, holy and pure society. And in doing that, they, in many ways, restrict the people that they interact with. There's uh, lots of stories where we see um, men being uh, rebuked because they took on foreign wives or something um, to that extent. Uh, extent. But we, I think we're all familiar, uh, especially in the prophets, there is this uh, continuous call to uh, invite the alien in and to care for them and show them mercy. And that's one of the most prevalent themes in scripture. Um, And so to help us, uh, this is me trying to help us balance those two ideas. I obviously, I'm going to favor the uh, the latter, to showing mercy to the foreigner. And I think why, um, I, why I would pick that over the former is because uh, we are no longer a holy nation like Israel. In fact, if we wanted to be, then we would need to do something that I think uh, no, or no few people would want to do, which is uh, keep like educated atheist Europeans out of the country. Um, they would be the ones most likely to impact our uh, Christian Christianity of America. But I, I don't see anyone making the argument, keep those people out. Those are the people that they want in most of all. Um, and like Michael said, most of the other immigrants that we're concerned about, they are predominantly religious, and uh, a lot of them are, in fact, Christian. So that's my two cents on it, on favoring the mercy to the alien and the foreigner. I, I think that the the main thing that I'm getting from your comments is that it parallels Jesus's teaching. Um, we can see that uh, even the other writers in the New Testament talk about how to win over a a husband that is um, uh, not necessarily being unfaithful, but is erring. Um, so yeah, the New Testament talks about winning over a husband who is erring. Uh, it also talks about how to interact with other people uh, that are secular or of the world. Um, and so at this point, uh, Christians are Gentiles. There is, um, uh, they, it, it's not just a closed off race. We are open to conversion. And so um, why would we limit our exposure culturally to people that are um not necessarily uh, citizens at one point, but we do need to be giving people uh, equal opportunity to uh, share the benefits that are of this country because there is religious freedom. Not to necessarily say that the U.S. is uh, God's chosen country by any means because we we fall short and are uh, really present that to the world, which uh, causes them to resent us. Are are you saying that America is not a shining city on a hill? Nobody said that. (laughs) Uh, John Winthrop said it, and then Ronald Reagan say it, and don't you ever forget it. Okay, (laughs) no. Um, I'm completely agreeing with y'all that uh, there, there is a duty for uh, God's people, whether they were Jews before Jesus or Christians since then, um, all, all of us as God's people 
when we are in the presence of, of aliens, of foreigners, of visitors to our, our home or our nation more broadly, uh, we have to first remember that we too were once aliens. Um, that that is our heritage. That's who God's people are. Uh, we are a people without a home. Um, where the rubber meets the road, where that becomes practical theology, that's where it becomes difficult. Um, I, do I share a meal? Sure. Do I invite them to be a part of my church community? Of course. Um, but what is the government's responsibility there? And um, as we talked about in our last podcast, the interaction between Christians and politics is so difficult to get our heads around. Uh, but once you do, it starts to have practical repercussions for how you uh, talk about these issues. Let me answer a question that you said. You said, what is the government's responsibility um here and first of all the government has a responsibility to the people uh, whoever votes you into office you are supposed to be serving them and representing them now if the people that voted you into office are not christian then you're going to be representing unchristian views um, and so that's something to be spoken for that if you are running for office if you're a christian that is wanting to make a difference in politics then you need to be campaigning on those things. And there are plenty of politicians out there that uh, they talk the talk and walk the walk also, which well, is to be applauded. Let, let me disagree with you. or I'm not disagreeing. I, let me just push back a little bit. So I, I'm taking the, the William Wilberforce perspective where he was elected by Christians in name only, but he himself uh, became a serious Christian. And so he, while he wasn't elected for Christian views, uh, we might have a politician today who uh, is elected by non-Christians, but is a Christian. And um, while the, the world, the, the, his, his constituents uh, might want him to do uh, policy A, if God, um, if, if that Christian... Uh, feels uh, that God's teachings are antithetical to that policy, then I, I would say that the Christian should not do it. Uh, yeah, and I, I want to just add, and I wish we had gotten a chance to talk more about this specific issue in our previous one, um, because I think uh, that that is huge on how we understand this issue of immigration, is how does the Christian bring in the theology I think all three of us agreed on as far as the proper... Uh, theology regarding immigrants, but how does that practically play out in government? And I, um, I'm not sure if Michael was saying this or if he was just devil, being a devil's advocate. But I, um, I think that the Christian is obligated, regardless of their constituency, to um, in government. And this is my uh, government ideology to. Uh, do what they think is best, even if that doesn't reflect their constituency. And for me, in this case, I would say what I think is best is the uh, the economic growth that Mike already described that is available to immigrants. And then we did never really even talked on the issue of refugees, but that's the most clear case where um, they're probably not economically viable. Um, perhaps I don't know. Um, Not but, the first generation, but subsequent generations likely uh, would be. 
but initially, at least, I would still even let them in on uh, on different ethical grounds, um, and that is regardless of what the constituency believes. Um, that's uh, its own ideology. So I guess to wrap things up, Daniel, you were kind of guiding us down a path of what are some of the things that would, uh, in a perfect uh, world, how would the immigration policies uh, be presented from your point of view? Um, give us a total encompassing um, view of what immigration should be like in your opinion. Okay. My singular view for immigration for, uh, for Christians um, as they participate in government is that uh, Christians should uh, be very accepting and very encouraging of bringing in immigrants to the country, whether um, that's uh, from uh, highly developed countries like in Europe, where you're getting skilled workers that Michael talked about, or you're getting um, uh, less skilled workers that are also viable to or uh, valuable to the economy. Um, and I think uh, we should be... Uh, encouraging uh, bringing in refugees, bringing in people who are uh, stranded or, or the, bring, being a home for the homeless, as Michael touched on earlier. Um, and I, of course, I, I also think that we should do our best to find those who are looking to hurt our country and to prevent them from coming in. Uh, but um, the more, the merrier, I would say, as a, a singular uh, phrase defining my view on this. Michael, why don't you go ahead? Sure. Um, I'll go ahead and start off with with this idea that uh, rather than being wall builders, uh, we should be people who are, as Reagan said, looking to tear down the walls. Um, I would challenge any congregation, uh, the churches that we go to, what if every uh, congregation of more than 200 people said, we want to sponsor a refugee, and maybe we even want to start with a Christian refugee, okay, uh, to um, to have a home with us, that we're going to take care of you um, and bring you out of oppression. Um, if it's immigrants moving into your, into your community, um, that we seek to... Um, uh, bring them into our culture. If they don't know God or don't know him as well as they should, we share our faith with them and we make sure that uh, their children uh, by, by the second generation are, are true Americans, that they have been uh, integrated into our culture. Um, I, I think that that is the duty of the church, uh, but it also just so happens to have a whole lot of uh, not just trickle downs, but just uh, just a waterfall uh, of of good that will come for, from it economically, spiritually, and culturally too. Stephen, yeah, I, I like your uh, your example of not just letting them come and live down the street from us, but having them in our homes. That is, uh, you know, taking it a step further and actually actually being uh, uh, active in the lives of other people. Um, as far as government stances go, um, I think that um, national security probably would take uh, precedent, but only as far as uh, properly uh, vetting people. And if somebody has a criminal record and has shown that they are a harm to the people around them, 
I don't think that the, uh, our nation necessarily owes them the ability to uh, have a second chance. Uh, having said that, um, there are plenty of other people that are uh, hindered from coming into our country that they're, it's just a difficult system to, uh, to get through. Um, uh, and, and as far as uh, building up the workforce, uh, I think that um, whatever skills that you come in with, you should be able to get right to work with what you're able to do. Um, but yeah, I agree with most of everything that you said with uh, both of your points. Yeah, I like what you said there. Let people work. That's that's a pretty good message right there, too. That's it for today. We'll have a brand new episode for you next week. Check out our blog at religionandstory.wordpress.com and leave us your feedback. See you next time.